Okay, it's the dot of eight o'clock in Sydney, so we'll make a start. Hello and welcome to today's Mobius Medical webinar entitled Australia, ensuring your clinical trial to ensure your protection. Today, we're really fortunate to be joined by Josh Mayer, who is the CEO of Avatar Brokers um, over in Melbourne. And I'd like to give a warm welcome to Josh today. Thank you. So a little bit about me, um, I'm Suzanne Williams, one of the co-founders and clinical directors of Mobius Medical. Um, my background is in clinical research for over 28 years, I'm shocked to say it every time. Um, and those years span the UK, USA, and then I settled here in Australia around 20 something years ago. Um, I've worked at Icon, big CRO, big pharma, medical device companies along the way. Um, and, you know, I've got quite an extensive knowledge of clinical trial management uh, through all phases and, and stages and indications. So here at Mobius, um, I've got a very varied role and it really encompasses business development, strategic advice, contracts and so on with our clients, um, vendor management, and then of course, project and line management. And I even wear the HR hat for the company. <laughs> Um, for the last five years, I've been honoured to be a guest lecturer at Sydney's Uni of Technology, um, and there I teach the biomedical engineering undergrads all about medical device clinical trials. And then more recently, during the COVID, I qualified as an authorised marriage celebrant. So if anybody listening today needs that service, <laughs> you can come and talk to me. So <laughs> a bit about Mobius, for those who don't know, we're a full service CRO. Um, still, a bit, we call ourselves a boutique CRO. We're intentionally small um, and that said we do span every major city with staff in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth and Auckland and Christchurch over in New Zealand. So if there are any services up there that you would like further information about don't hesitate to drop me a line and we can talk further but I won't on about it now. So let's talk insurance. Um, Mobius Medic Answer in Australia for the majority of our overseas clients. And in this scenario, we're an insured party for clinical trials. Um, given the risk that we take, we undertake on behalf of our clients as their local legal entity here, we are extremely careful about holding a robust and accurate policy from an extremely highly trustworthy underwriter. We also recommend, of course, that the same applies for our clients who are actually paying for the policy and are also named insured on that. So the first thing we recommend is that we contact our trusted partner, Avatar Brokers. We've been um, using Avatar, I would say, for well over 10 years now. Uh, they're absolute experts in the area. And we're thrilled today to be joined by Josh Mayer, as I said, from Avatar, who's the CEO. So three common questions on clinical trials insurance that we get from, especially from startup companies that we work with um, overseas. So they want to know how much of a policy do we actually need in terms of coverage? When do we need to put it in place and actually pay for it? And how can you help us obtain a really solid policy? And when, when I say solid policy, I mean one that when the actual push comes to shove, they are going to pay and, you know, look after the client that's actually holding the policy. 
So first, a little bit about the legalities in Australia. So Medicines Australia is the industry body um, that produces our nationally accepted templates for clinical trial site contracts and forms of indemnity. So these are quite pharma trial focused. Um, they were adapted from the British Association of, um, of, of pharm Pharmaceuticals. Um, and so Medicines Australia developed templates adapted from the British ones. And following suit, Medical Technology of Australia then produced a set of templates uh, based off the Medicines Australia one that were geared specifically to device trials, because they are slightly different, of course, doing investigations using medical devices compared to pharmaceutical clinical trials. So if we adopt one of the clinical trial agreements, uh, templates that these industry bodies have provided, we then tailor them by using the schedules at the back. There are seven schedules at the back of the document. Um, and we insert the protocol details, the budget, the and how payments are made to the site. The insurance certificate has a spot. Uh, there's a spot to outline what compensation guidelines we use, and that's um, a link to a website that, that is sort of a mandatory requirement in these contracts, and the site details. We then submit these contracts to the research office and we obtain governance approval with no additional legal review needed. So that's an important point. If we alter the body of one of these templates, it has to go through legal um, review in Australia and it can actually add months to the startup. So we highly, highly recommend that the body of the documents aren't changed here in Australia. This is a, a screenshot and the website link to the Medicines Australia website. And this is where we go to download the document that we require. By doing this, as opposed to keeping these on a hard drive or in the cloud of our own, we always know that we're using the absolute most recent um, and up-to-date version of the template. The most common one that we use is the second one down, Clinical Trial Research Agreement, CTRA, where the contract research organization is acting as local sponsor. Similarly, uh, this is the screenshot um, from the Medicines, uh, sorry, from the Medical Technology Association of Australia's uh, website. Extremely similar, as you can see. But just a couple of words on indemnity. So there are two forms of indemnity that are provided by those industry bodies. The standard indemnity form, is when the indemnified party is providing the premises for the conduct of the study and the ethics review, or is providing the premises only. Now, if the ethics committee is completely independent of the site, then the ethics committee also require indemnification, and that's what the HREC indemnity form is used for. The link underneath here is takes us to the compensation guidelines that Medicines Australia put out, and that link goes in our contract to say those are the guidelines that we will abide by. I am going to now hand over to Josh. Um, welcome again, Josh, and I will let you take off. Great. <clears throat> thank you. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Suzanne, um, for having us <clears throat> or inviting us to speak this morning. Um, forever, for everyone who is on the call today, I'm talking about insurance. You're brave warriors. 
So I will try to keep it as high level as possible without going into too much insurance jargon. And really this discussion is, is more some strategies or reasons, um, you know, how to navigate the Australian environment. Um, I think the important thing about us as a, a, as a specialist is we have been specializing um, with companies that innovate since the birth of the company back in 20, uh, 2002. And, and where we've really specialized is companies that operate within the life science sector. Um, we've worked with a lot of clinical trial sponsors around the world. And of course, within Australia, we have offices spanning New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria, and we're the industry sponsors, or rather sponsors of the industry's associations. So um, it's safe to say that, you know, when, when it comes to clinical trial insurance, we have a, a breadth of experience to speak to um, with respect to, to the industry. <clears throat> when it comes to insurance broking, you know, what an insurance broker ultimately is in its most simplistic form is they look at the risk that the business has and transfer that to an insurer. So when we look at our business, we look at ourselves as um, part of the business that are part of our client's business, really trying to articulate what are the exposures and how can we transfer those off your company. So when we start getting into the nitty gritty of getting a clinical trial ready, there's a few elements that we need from yourself in order to um, prepare, uh, I guess, a, a clinical trial submission. Uh, everyone will be aware of the protocol informed consent form. You know, those documents allow us to articulate what exactly is the pro, you know, what is occurring in the clinical trial? What are the endpoints in the clinical trial? What are some of the exposures, the adverse events? What are people agreeing to? And then Insure uses those documents to then associate risk with a particular clinical trial. When we look at some of the information we're asking, what we're really trying to start picking out is the narrative of the trial. You know, what is actually the exposure of the trial when it comes to the specificity of the trial? And you might go, well, why do you separate active and placebo? Well, that's really important because as everyone in here is aware, you know, the active drug or the active element in a clinical trial is where the kind of the risk is associated, where the placebo, you know, the risk is, is much of a mute point. So when we pull apart the active and placebo, we're actually trying to paint the, the, the actual risk to ensure. So if you have a cohort of 10 people and it's 50% active, 50% placebo, when we're talking to insurers, we say, well, the risk is only on five um, participants in that cohort, really. And that's where um, an insurer should start uh, you know, rating their policy on. When we look at the state territory, which I'll talk to in a different slide, that really kind of underlines the narrative um, of what those regulatory requirements are in each state that an in, or uh, each state that a clinical trial has sites in. The EC submission ethics committee EC submission date allows us to know when do you need your certificate by, and that's really our major deadline. And the start and end dates are really important because that's what we want the certificate of currency, which is the ultimate document that you or, or Mobius Medical would use to supply to an ethics committee as part of their submission. Now, there's a little caveat that we put at the bottom of that slide where it's really important that you work with insurers that rate on the actual risk, 
not the period of the insurance policy. So most of insurance policies operate on a 12-month term. You pay 12-month premium for that risk. When you work with clinical trial insurers, what you really want them to rate on is the risk itself, which is in these documents, in the information that's required. So for instance, if you have a, a, a three-year, let's say your start date is 2022 and your end date is 2025, you wouldn't want an insurer to base it on a three-year premium. You want an insurer to base it on, well, what is the exposure of this trial? So, or what is the exposure within the trial? So it's really important that you're rating on the risk and not the period. Um, this is a little bit of a heavy slide when it comes to the regulatory uh, requirements, but what it really underlines is there's different requirements depending on the state, which is why it's really important that when we get the information from a sponsor, we know where a sponsor is intending to have participants, which state, so we can ensure that the certificate of currency reflects the needs of those states. You'll see different requirements, such as a six-year extended reporting period in Queensland and WA. Um, there, a few years ago, that was actually something that needed to be purchased when the trial completed. But many um, policies now actually include that at the onset. So when you buy your, your, your trial or a protocol, an insurance policy for your protocol, you package everything up and you can supply that to your, your the certificate of currency to your EC, which would show this policy has a six-year extended reporting period on it. Now, we caution with some discretionary items in that there's various states where ethics committees are particular about certain things, or they may want to see different items that are not standard, not part of that kind of normal regulatory requirement that might be above and beyond. That might be in an instance where there's a trial that's considered to be higher risk. And so the EC wants to see, you know, an extended reported period in a state that would not normally require that. So and it's really, you know, this, 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 you know, the regulatory requirements, and then there's almost an added ethics committee requirement. So we're continually navigating through, you know, what does that ethics committee, is there something above and beyond? And the sooner we can get to the bottom of that, the sooner we can get a, a certificate of currency to satisfy that EC requirement. So some key considerations that, that we always speak to, um, you know, the first is, well, how are you putting your policy together? And, 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 and should you choose an annually renewable or protocol specific? Now, when we look at annually renewable, the name is exactly what it is. It renews every 12 months. Why would you purchase that type of policy? Well, if you as a sponsor, I, uh, you know, have identified, well, we think that we'll be um, putting together multiple clinical trials multiple different protocols, if you will, in a similar or in a small period of time, well, there's cost benefits from an annually renewable policy, because what that does is it actually shares that aggregate limit of liability across multiple trials, whereas a protocol specific quarantines the exposure on a single policy for a single trial. So there's always reasons and, and to, to do one or the other, but simply speaking, that's kind of the major reason between the two. As uh, Suzanne alluded to earlier, it's really important that you get that insurer selection right from the beginning. 
It's all good and dandy to have a piece of paper that says you have an insurance policy, but if you are purchasing insurance with an insurer that perhaps doesn't have a great DNA for claims handling or claims payment, that can complicate the situation. And ultimately what we all want is to advance you know, these technologies and not have insurance be one of the obstacles in the way. Claims management we put on there because there's certain insurers that don't have local claims representation. So if a claim does occur, it has to be handled overseas if the claim is above a certain amount. We always recommend local markets because that streamlines the process of a claim being paid in the event that there is a claim. You have local representation, you're working on the local time zone, and that just really helps um, the end result, which is getting a claim paid. Certificates of currency. You know, this can be a roadblock to you getting your clinical trial up and running. We want to present the certificate of currency that will satisfy the EC from the beginning. And with that, you don't have the roadblock and certainly don't want a roadblock of insurance for you getting your clinical trial, you advancing your, your, um, you know, your product through that clinical trial pipeline. And finally, of course, broker selection. We strongly recommend, of course, working with brokers that understand the environment, understand the ecosystem, understand the insurer side of the fence, and then can really put together a program that removes insurance being a hurdle to you advancing your technology. Um, so um, that, that's really kind of the key considerations that, that we have. Um, on, on the next slide, we have a little bit about who we are, um, you know, which I can let you read, but that, that for me, Suzanne, is, is kind of it. Great. Thanks, Josh. Fantastic information. We will now go to a bit of a question and answer session for the last 10 minutes or so. Richard, if you can field any questions that come through to us, please. the board here there's no uh, no questions on the board just as yet so if anyone has any they could um they could type their their questions into the uh the qa panel we can barely hear you richard sorry i was uh just saying that if anyone has any questions can they please type them into the uh question and answer panel in the zoom app Looks like uh, looks like Josh has done a very thorough uh, <laughs> presentation there. Um, perhaps perhaps I can just maybe at the you know some people might wonder, um, Richard Suzanne, you know how flexible are these policies? What if we make changes to that initial criteria that we put forward? Which I think is a perfectly fair question, you know how cemented are these policies once you purchase a policy again it goes back to well i would really recommend you know importance on that insure selection side of the fence if you can get the insurer right a good insurer is going to understand that there needs to be embedded flexibility in these policies let's say for instance during covid you had a delay in your recruitment and you estimated that your completed recruitment date would happen in 2022, you know, when you started your trial in 2020. 
Well, again, when I said earlier, if you are um, you, you're you're putting it with an insurer that understands the risk and not rating on the period, you know what we would do in that instance is is ask the insurer. Okay, well, rather ask the sponsor. Well, when do you believe that you'll complete the trial? Is it going to be 2024 instead of 2022? Perfect. Then we would get a certificate of currency to match that period. What an insurer might request is, do you believe there's any material changes to the clinical trial? What they're really wondering is, what's the risk? What's the changing risk? Will your recruitment double? Well, if it doubles, you know, an insurer may say, well, the risk is slightly different than when we originally, you know, quoted. We might want a little bit more premium for that, which is a perfectly fair and reasonable request because that that the, the original cohort size is now doubled. Again, that risk is increased. So insurers are very flexible with these particular policies. They have to be because it, running a clinical trial is not just A to B. Sometimes there's some uh, diversion in between. And Josh, what about when there are, if there is a, a spate, if you like, of serious related adverse events, can, can the policy change following that? And should the sponsor company be communicating to the insurer that, and it, you know, the safety profile, if it's, if it is showing some, some added risk than we thought at the beginning? I think it's always important to keep your insurer in the loop, especially when it comes to serious adverse events, Suzanne. Um, these policies are rated at the beginning, not the end. So, you know, an insurer is not necessarily, they, they, they can't change the contract once it's in place. Um, of course, they're going to ask some, you know, perhaps more, if there's a sequence or series of SAEs, that do fall part of uh, the trial, then they might start asking questions, but it's not going to prejudice the sponsor's ability to seek um, insurance or claim on the policy. That's a very important element to the clinical trial insurance. Wonderful. Okay, we've, we've got a couple of, couple of questions on the board. Uh, firstly, we have someone asking, uh, would it be okay to get some insight experience on insurance claim and payout um i once heard that it's very rare to trigger the insurance in clinical trials in australia yeah absolutely no we can certainly speak to that so um i think australia sits within a very high level of governance worldwide to the extent that you know where a claim does occur it is unexpected um from the perspective of what a sponsor you know would expect and wouldn't expect within the trial, you know, the intention of these policies are to pay in the event of a claim. So typically what you see is the, the immediate compensation as a, as a result of the compensation guidelines that Suzanne was speaking to earlier, you know, in the event that something, you know, uh, 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 worse occurs, something where the, the, the individual um, has a, a, a very bad outcome above and beyond what worker, you know, the, the compensation guidelines would pay. You know, certainly the policy's intent is to respond to that. And the insurer wants to get involved earlier rather than later to help to discuss the narrative with you as the sponsor as a part of that particular event. Um, we, I, I think if someone asked perhaps a specific example, we had a, um, a trial that that's ongoing right now, had a, a, an adverse event where 
uh, indemnity was accepted by the insurer and an immediate claim was paid out. Um, that particular individual has now sought um, legal representation alleging that um, the individual suffered um, and has continues to suffer as a result of participation in the clinical trial and is no longer able to work. You know, so then we're talking about, okay, there's, there's some tail exposure under these policies. And if you're no longer able to work and perhaps you're a, you know, a media, uh, you know, a 50-year-old individual, well, you still have a lot of working life ahead of you. So the, these policies respond to those types of events and obviously are trying to come together to satisfy, a, you know, a good outcome for all. So the bodily injury was the trigger, but obviously there's subsequent, and I say bodily injury as in an individual has suffered an, an event, an, a serious adverse event as a result of participation in a trial, but there's also subsequent loss as a result of that, which these policies respond to. Mm -hmm. Okay, very helpful, Josh. Uh, we have another question here. Uh, what is the current issue in the clinical trial insurance requirement in Australia? Just a question though, is, uh, is there a lack of consistency between um, state, hospital and HREC requirements? Well, it's a, it's a really good one. And, you know, we, we, we spoke a little bit in some of the caveats around the ECs, you know, and sorry, the ethics committee requirements. You know, broadly speaking, I would say it's fairly consistent. Typically, those state regulatory um, requirements are are satisfactory for an EC. You know, it's not common for an EC to say, well, we want something above and beyond. So I'd say from that perspective, there is more consistency than a lack of consistency. And, and I'm not sure if, if who's raised this question has a particular scenario that they've uh, encountered where that's not been the case. And I'm certainly happy to speak offline. But in the majority of our EC submissions or where we're providing the certificate for um, a CRO to, to provide an EC submission, we, we typically see that those, as long as it meets the state regulatory requirements, you know, they are accepted, you know, by the EC uh, or the HREC, as you've pointed in your question. So um, again, I'm happy to speak offline if you've had an issue um, and can talk perhaps more detailed about that issue. Okay, great. Uh, Josh, could you could you perhaps um, uh, provide some insight on, on how it would work? You say there's a, a clinical trial which is already underway overseas and then that, that, um, the sponsor wishes to open up some sites in Australia. Is it possible to then just um, expand the policy from overseas or is a, is a separate policy in Australia required? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, ultimately it's up to the sponsor um, on that. You can utilize an overseas policy to, um, to, to, to satisfy the local requirements in Australia. That, that is acceptable as long as the insurer used overseas satisfies the credit rating requirements locally. Um, you know, we typically see or would recommend a local clinical trial from the perspective of court, you know, again, we, we transfer risk that that's what we're trying to do here. So we would require or recommend a local insurance policy to quarantine the exposure from Australia, um, um, apart from your, your 
global insurance program that, again, gives you local claims authority, which is really important to get a claim paid or to, to expedite an outcome. And also, Australia typically has very high limit requests or, or requirements um, in Australia versus the worldwide. You know, New South Wales requires $20 million. Um, certain countries, you know, limit requirements are much lower. That doesn't mean you might not purchase more. Um, but certainly as a requirement, a regulatory requirement, those limits might be lower. So it may be cost beneficial to actually take out a policy in Australia when you do have a global program. And, and what we do, Richard, what we're very cl um, clear to with the sponsors, if you have, you know, sites across the world, we just want to, that's, you, we can get that information, but what we're really picking out is what's that Australian exposure, and we're ensuring that a local insurer or the insurer of the, the trial is only going to be quoting on that particular component, the Australian, as opposed to the worldwide, which you'd already have a policy for. So it's really important that we're delineating between what's overseas and what's Australian exposure for the purposes of insuring, not double insuring. Yeah, so... I guess in, in that case, it'd be very wise to speak to a local Australian broker who understands the, the specific requirements in Australia. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. And if anything, you know, to, to just get a local broker's guidance and advice, whether the sponsor ultimately selects to work with the broker or, or to utilize the global program. You know, if you get that local advice first, Here's what we'd recommend, maybe even getting it costing, costed and, and making a decision. We always recommend that that's probably the first approach taken because then you can make an informed decision, decision as a sponsor. What are the risks? What are the costs? And what do we want to do with, you know, based on that? Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right, we seem to, it's uh, now 8.30 here in uh, in Sydney, so that's uh, the end of our allotted time. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for attending today and um, have a lovely rest of your evening, stateside and day in, in Australia. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Richard. And thank you, everyone, for attending.